Hey, thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. To unlock the ad-free extended version of this episode, sign up at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown, and you'll get the rest of August 2019 for free. If you're listening to this and it's no longer August 2019, what's the future like? This episode is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown to get a free audiobook. And stay tuned for my book recommendation. That's audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. And YouTube's doing some things these days that are kind of changing the landscape, you know. And for those, sorry, I'm so sorry for doing that. For those listening, uh, I have a latex Yoda that's actually bats uh, that he did not know I was going to <laughs> whip out in the, in the middle of this recording. I've been waiting all day, all day for this. And now your hand is going to smell. It's going to stink for like five It's going to smell like 20-year-old latex. Maybe, uh, maybe you shouldn't put your hands in Yoda. Maybe I don't know what you expect. Maybe you shouldn't. Like. But what's amazing <laughs> is how it, rare and sought after and expensive those th- this this Yoda is, right? Yeah, yeah. They used to be, uh, I don't know, twenty five dollar range, something like that, and now they're on eBay for you know you know two hundred without the tags, uh, anything prime, perfect tags, everything like that is like five five hundred plus or minus. It's nuts. Five hundred dollars. Yeah, I saw one. I saw two listed the other day. One at four hundred and one at six hundred. And I, I was like, it's cool, but <laughs> is it like six hundred dollars to put your hand in Yoda? Cool. Well, I mean, it's all relative. I think some people would uh, pay that. They'd buy it now. They'd pay that in an instant. <laughs> I mean, if the market value is there, someone's buying. Someone wants to put their hand in Yoda for six hundred bucks. It's a good deal. How much would you charge though if you if you just rented that experience? If it was like a twenty minute thing, that you could do whatever with the Yoda doll for twenty minutes, how much is that going to run somebody? What would you charge for that? Oh my gosh, you could do whatever. Then how long is Yoda going to last? If people are going to do like <laughs> horrible things, it's like it would have. They'd have to just buy it at that point. I don't think you can. I guess you could hose it off. <laughs> it is just rubber. Yeah, I don't think uh, Yoda's dishwasher safe. No. <laughs> All right. Well, I apologize for completely derailing <laughs> the introduction to this episode, but <laughs> we do actually have something important that we want to talk about, and that is that is YouTube changing their policy on kind of everything in regards to yeah. what you can do, what you can't do how to violate those policies. I mean, channels are just being mass, mass deleted, 
and demonetized. The whole channel can be demonetized or just strikes left and right for strange things. I, I swear I pop on Twitter every day and at least one YouTuber that I'm friends with that I know personally is having some serious issue and they're trying to get, you know, the at team YouTube Twitter's attention to to solve it. Right. And it's hard to know where to start because you're talking about all of these different problems and they're radically different problems that, that seem to overlap too. So you have some issues that have to do with copyright violations. You have strikes on, on the content front. You have really strange rules being applied for the actual content itself, where people are getting videos deleted despite those videos just not not being a problem. You have the suppression of certain kinds of content. Then you have all of that nuclear option stuff with the channel deletion, where people are losing channels completely, which we see through uh, Twitter accounts like YouTube Graveyard. That's a, a bunch of people who highlight these problems and try to call attention on Twitter uh, in the broader community, hoping that... Uh, YouTube will will take notice through the Team YouTube account or something like that, and then look into the problem. And that's, I mean, saying it's an inexact science is is just doesn't even get to how uh, impossible it is to get the right person's attention for the right issue in enough time. It, the whole thing is a massive, massive mess. Now, I think that this all started with what was dubbed the Vox Adpocalypse, something that happened a few months ago. And I know that YouTube came out and they said that the Vox Adpocalypse had nothing to do with the policy changes and that these were going to be instituted anyway. But I mean, personally, I find it to be a heck of a coincidence that that Vox Adpocalypse thing happened. And then within a few weeks, they all of a sudden roll out all these changes that seem to be really affecting a wide, wide swath of creators for a tremendous variety of reasons that I know that YouTube is working really hard to, to parse out and to fine tune all of these flagging systems for these violations. But I don't know, man, it seems like the more regulations they're instituting, the, the harder it gets to create an algorithm that determines this is okay and this is not. Yeah, and for, for anybody who's been under a YouTube rock for however long now, since June, I guess, that, that uh, the Vox Adpocalypse scenario really started because Steven Crowder, who has edgy, uh, at times offensive political comedy, right-wing kind of guy, uh, was critical of Carlos Maza, who's a, a, a writer for Vox, or or was until the other day. I, it seems like he's he and Vox are parting ways. Um, and I stumble on that because I don't know the exact word to use, and YouTube doesn't know the exact word to use. Was he criticizing him in a comedic way? It was certainly offensive. Nobody disputed that the things he said uh, were offensive. They absolutely were. Um, is that okay. YouTube doesn't seem sure. Uh, what's the difference between edgy criticism and offensive but comedic content and harassing another creator? And, and that, that's really when all these questions started popping up. And it seems like uh, YouTube ramped up the efforts on all of these fronts well beyond the issue that, that created 
this Vox adpocalypse situation, right? So it's really tough to sort out. And when you wanted to talk about, when we were talking about uh, what we wanted to talk about today, I'm thinking this is is like uh, untangling, you know, 85 knots and you don't even know uh, where to begin on it. And it really is just that many problems that cross over in, in ways that I honestly don't even think the people who work at YouTube understand. I don't think so either. And it's hard for me to envision a way to untangle all of those knots with an algorithm when there are knots that are tangled that human beings cannot agree upon. So even though I, I agree with you that we could all, it was clear that while Steven Crowder was criticizing Carlos Maz's YouTube videos and he was he was commenting on them, which is which is covered under fair use. Mm-hmm. He was also belittling him, and yeah. Carlos Maza was offended mm-hmm. and felt harassed. He felt like he was being specifically harassed and targeted, and so he essentially tried to to rally the troops in his favor to go after YouTube for mm-hmm. essentially allowing this to occur. And the problem is, like you said. I don't, I don't know how YouTube figures out what is criticism, what is commentary, what is harassment, what is playful ribbing. I mean, in this scenario with Steven Crowder and Carlos Maza, this same exact thing could theoretically, hypothetically occur between friends trolling each other, right? Yeah. Let's say, yeah. let's say hypothetically that Steven Crowder and Carlos Maza are actually really good friends. Which they're not. <laughs> Let's make that clear. They're definitely not. This <laughs> they is probably, hypothetical. They probably don't hang out, do they? I don't think that they hang out. <laughs> but hypothetically, two creators could be mocking and ribbing and being really offensive toward each other. But it could all be a big joke. And, and, and my point is, how would an algorithm ever be able to identify intent? No, it wouldn't. It, it really can't. At least we're not even close to it. And Google has tried to do this for a long, long time. I mean, from the beginning, they've had massive teams of what they call human raters who rate content in a million different ways. I mean, that's that's a not a useful distinction here, but I mean, it can be everything. So it can be something like a human looking to make sure that given this search query, the top three websites on the page fit the intent of that search. You know, they, they have been doing that for a long, long time and having who knows how many humans actually review the results on that, then they can use that, those inputs to further refine the algorithm. But what do you do with the nuances of something like YouTube content? You could have two videos that were almost identical in terms of content, but the uh, the nuances and the, the characteristics of that situation, that relationship, are just radically different. I mean, I don't know, if I threw a bunch of insults at you, they might be inside jokes that are very funny, or the people who know us would find them funny, you know, and that's the way YouTube works, where something can be funny to a community of 5,000 people and be, it just appear to be a completely different thing to 500,000 others. Uh, Can you do that? I mean, 
not only can you not do that with an algorithm, but it takes a long, long time to do it as a human. You have to figure out all the components, all the relationships at play, how these different things play off from one another, and then make a judgment call that hopefully is well-informed enough to be accurate. This is just, this is brutally difficult, and they're trying to do it in an automated system uh, with years and years of, of work at stake for a lot of people. Exactly, because you can't just go by the words that people use because, yeah, I think inside jokes are a great example of that. Like you can have an inside joke with your friends that, you know, uses words that everybody knows as something else. And I'm not talking mm -hmm. about hate speech or like clearly offensive words. I'm not talking about that. Just talking about the, the because that's already part of the system. And, and that's an easy thing for an algorithm to figure out. You, yeah. you have a list of, uh, you know, these are objectionable words that, you know, are not going to make it through our filter. And, and that totally makes sense. And I think everyone agree, mm -hmm. agrees with that. But, but yeah, like you can have an inside joke with your friends that might seem really offensive mm -hmm. because you're using the same words in a different way, though, that they all think is funny. Mm -hmm. But as an outsider, you're like, I don't get this. Yeah. That's a human thing. That's, mm -hmm. that's not computer code. So, we're going to go get into a few specific channels that we've mm -hmm. seen affected in different ways. One of which was Vsauce 2. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, that's why I'm waiting. I'm going to say, so actually, let's start with, with how you had the hammer brought down on, on you. But I mean, we all had to expect that because Vsauce 2 is is the edgiest, most offensive content on YouTube. <laughs> uh, I almost spit my water out. <laughs> I'm, 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 while you're talking, I'm taking a sip of water and I almost spit it all over the microphone. <laughs> Just short-circuited the whole thing and <laughs> killed the podcast. <laughs> well, here's the thing. For years, Vsauce 2 was dedicated to promoting other people. Mm -hmm. It shows like Mind Blow and Loot and Fack and... Pretty much all of the shows, five, four, three, two, one. I mean, if you're if you're an old school Vsauce two fan, you'll be familiar with all these different shows that I have done BDP. over the years. But they were ah oh, BDP. That's 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 yeah. the one that was slipping my mind. Yeah, BDP was uh, probably the best example of a show that was just dedicated to promoting cool people. BDP stood yeah. for Build It, Draw It, Play It. It was three segments. Build it. I would highlight people who built really cool things, like a giant fire-breathing dragon robot, and then play it obviously was music, and, and draw it was obviously um, illustrations and paintings and that sort of thing. But essentially, I was going through the internet and curating highlights and turning it into hopefully an entertaining video, and a lot of the Vsauce2 subscriber account was built upon those shows. But mm -hmm. as a result of that programming... I would credit and link to absolutely everything that was showcased in an episode. So if it's an episode of Loot and it's a bunch of things, a bunch of wacky products that you could buy, I would link in the description where you could buy said product. Right. And that's the point too, isn't it? That if you're going to highlight all these things, all these people, all these cool products, if somebody thinks it's awesome, they want to be able to follow it up and, and go see the thing or buy the thing or whatever. Like th that has to be part of it, doesn't it? 
it was totally the point and, and totally <laughs> <laughs> totally my impetus for making a show like BDP. The whole point of that show was that I love creators. If you couldn't tell by the existence of this podcast, <laughs> like, huh. I love creativity. I love creative people and I love celebrating that. Mm -hmm. And BDP was a show where I would find artists that I would, I admired and would say, Hey, go check out this person. They, you know, made a xylophone out of Lego and they played the final countdown on it and it was really cool. So go <laughs> like go watch their go watch their video, subscribe to them, whatever. That was the point of the show. Well, the point of this story is that recently a few of the old links from those old videos, and we're talking like five, six, seven years ago, okay. In subsequent years, that link has gone bad and not gone bad in a way where it's like <laughs> an error message or a, a 404 uh, gone gone bad in like the adult content way 18 plus and banned in some countries is that what you're trying to say yes yeah i think that's a, <laughs> an appropriate way of describing the the links <laughs> that once led to you know a product or uh, somebody's website uh, they now lead to uh, something that certain people would find objectionable mm. and <laughs> certainly something that that violates YouTube's terms of service. So what you're saying is that Vsauce 2 became a porn site. Is that right? Uh, a, a curator of adult content. <laughs> Vsauce 2 is, is about the curation of adult content. That's a great tagline. I'm like, it's it's exciting to see you shift your brand so hard into 2020. <laughs> It's really, you know, you don't know what it is. It's the, it's the unwilling curation of adult content. <laughs> the act, the acts, <laughs> the accidental unwilling, uh, curation of adult content. So, uh, guess what? I don't monitor like 25 links in 300 videos that are seven years old every single day. Yeah. I, I, that would, that would be a full-time job and I don't do that. It's not possible. It's not practical. It's, it's ridiculous, especially since a, a link can change into something nefarious in, a, in an instant. Like imagine sure. I check all 300 videos, I mean it, thousands of links every, uh, at 9 a.m. each morning, and then by noon, one of them turns into something little Billy is not allowed to see. It turns into a website where you can rent a Yoda doll for 20 minutes and, and do what you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, your website. It turns into your website. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I found out that these links went bad because I got a warning from YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then I got a community strike from YouTube. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I can't upload videos to Vsauce 2 anymore. Mm -hmm. The channel is literally frozen. I couldn't upload a video if I wanted to. It's crippled because a few links in old videos uh, now lead to your Yoda website. <laughs> 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 and let me tell you, I, I was very freaked out. I was very freaked out because I felt like at any moment another link could could pop, could go mm -hmm. bad. And now Vsauce 2 is gone, just like that. The one one channel that YouTube is never going to have to worry about 
is Vsauce 2. Um, I'd even worry about Ding more than I'd worry than Vsauce 2. You know, so uh, it's just not ever going to be a real problem. But since no human was looking at this, you get the automated strike. And so two things. I want to back up really quickly because this was something that happened months ago. When you say that you can't upload, that's not current. It's not like you're barred from uploading now. This was when did this occur? It was it wasn't that long ago, actually. It was a, a, about a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And it, it obviously it's been resolved. You know, I've uploaded since then. Um, YouTube was great at handling it. And obviously I deleted the links and they removed the strikes and the channel is in good standing again. So that was an instance where something went went bad. Um, yeah. What you know, what was let me before, before you get into that, I want to mention the fact that I talked to two different teams at YouTube, okay? And one of the teams told me, I kid you not, to go back through all of my old videos and delete all the links because I'm fully responsible for the content of them. That's crazy. Yeah. Especially because when we were talking about how this could happen, there's a 99% chance that what happened is whatever domain was highlighted there expired. Somebody picked it up and and used it uh, for whatever purposes. So it wasn't even the person who owned that website originally who's who's done something wrong here. This is, and it certainly wasn't you because you can't be held responsible for that, although it appears you can, but a completely unaffiliated somebody, nobody, whoever out there buys a domain and does something with it, and then it sets in motion what what can become a serious problem. It, this is nuts. It's like my car insurance going up because somebody in like Abu Dhabi has an, has an accident today. Like this has nothing to do with my life. I didn't do anything wrong there, but I still have to pay the price. So it was really strange when all of that came in and doubly strange that it wasn't a warning because you'd think if you had a problem there, you'd get an email that said, we've identified uh, X, Y, and Z that's wrong in this video. You have 24 hours to fix this, uh, to clear it out, wipe it out, deal with this problem, or you get the strike, you get shut down, whatever the appropriate punishment is. That would make perfect sense because it would make people responsible for their links it could be 12 hours. It could be four if they're concerned about that. Who knows? Uh, but you'd think that a creator would get an opportunity to fix a problem, even in a short window, before getting what's well beyond a slap on the wrist. You know, that's like a stake through the heart uh, to get a channel shut down like that. And that's what a lot of this comes down to is just is just channels getting bludgeoned with a hammer when, you know, a scalpel would 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 be a lot better. I'm glad that you mentioned Ding though because I didn't even think about this the 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 changing of the name of that channel folds into this discussion. That was the Dong channel. And for a long time, you know, we were told by YouTube that it wasn't a problem and guess what? It, it definitely was. Like it definitely was a a problem. Uh, we changed it to Ding, and and it made a difference. That's all mm-hmm. I'll say. It did it did make a, a noticeable difference changing the name from Dong to Ding, even though Dong is like that's such an innocuous, silly. <laughs> it's it's not offensive. Like that that word is not going to get 
a child to have his mom shove a bar of soap in his mouth because he said dong. Like, it's not on even close to the level. It's really not. Like, it's not close to the level of, uh, you know, uh, what's the kid's name from A Christmas Story? And he gets, he has to, he has to Ralphie. Says, Fudge. Yeah, Ralphie. Yeah, little Ralphie having to eat the soap because he said the F word uh, when he spoke knocked over the screws or whatever, the bolts of his dad changing yeah. the, the tire on the on the car. <laughs> it's come on, Dong, really? <laughs> and that shows you that shows you like the level of what we're dealing with. It it's just gotten pretty ridiculous, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. And it's causing everyone everyone's upset about this. I mean, YouTube right now has lawsuits from um, the LGBT community that just That's right. got um, filed. Just this week. Just this and, week it dropped. And, yeah, just this, ju- yep, just recently. And um, uh, a right-wing channel, PragerU, also mm. has a lawsuit against YouTube. Guess what? Both for the same thing, mm-hmm. for suppressing their content um, in uh, what they believe... Uh, for, you know, reasons of their identity. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, uh, even if it's not identity, it can be, it can be topics that, oh, that YouTube for whatever reason uh, deems controversial with its advertisers, but isn't at all. And so I, I want to briefly allude to this because uh, I'd like, I think that we need to go really deep into it, like full episode deep. Um uh, the channel Coffee Break, which is a video essay type channel, made some really good stuff. Most recently, uh, had a huge video analyzing YouTube's trending tab and what what went into that. Um, for example, showing that in the United States, PewDiePie trended once in 2018, I think. Um, Vsauce 2 probably trended five times. Which makes Pew- PewDiePie. PewDiePie. Uh, who's that again? The uh, the by far biggest original mm-hmm. creator in the history of YouTube trended once. Yeah. That makes sense. Except Vsauce two trending four or five times that year uh, makes makes you four or five times better than PewDiePie. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 yes. <laughs> but that's insane because it obviously doesn't reflect what people are really doing. So that was his, no. a video that was amazing and and it didn't make the trending tab look good. Uh, that, that was okay and it has a million views plus. I don't know the exact number, but it was definitely over a million the other day when I, I linked it to somebody. So, so Coffee Break does this video about vaping policy really about public policy surrounding vaping, anti-smoking efforts. It was extremely nuanced, totally fair. There's no language in it that's objectionable. There's nothing there's nothing controversial about it either. He he analyzes what it means to have a project a product that uh, is is about harm reduction versus a full-on ban on something, and it just he really takes a difficult, nuanced topic and puts 12 minutes or whatever into it uh, and makes a very good video. Now, based on all of his stats, based on how his other videos have been received, uh, this should have been five, 600,000 views easy. The feedback on it, by the way, his community loves it. I watched it. I thought it was awesome. You know, I know we mentioned Nerd City on the last episode, but I'm going to do it again because he commented on one of uh, Coffee Break's tweets saying this is the type of content that should be on YouTube. 
it's like the thinking man's content, but extremely fair. And that video got throttled to death. I mean, they suppressed the hell out of it because it had to do with the topic of smoking. You know, smoking is in the title. I guess that that triggered it. I don't know. Who knows? But you can't even talk about public policy without taking a position. It's not like he was advocating for one thing over the other. He was describing a difficult public policy situation. And that video gets completely nuked. That's insane. That's why I think that we we need to get him on here so he can go into serious detail about that, about trending, all that stuff. But it's a great example about, or it's a great example of, <laughs> of uh, making a good video that shouldn't get, shouldn't get flagged, shouldn't get suppressed. And it, it's, I, I don't even know the words for, for the way that is squeezed into zero. I don't know either. I watched the video too. I, I couldn't, you know, lots of times you don't make it through mm-hmm. uh, all the way. Some YouTube videos, believe me, I made it through all, all of that. It was really compelling mm-hmm. and it, was the type of kind of investigative journalism piece that you would expect to see on like, I don't know, Dateline or mm-hmm. something. Like it, it, it was that level of ob- objective. I, I felt like, I felt like it was yes. very objective. It was like presenting information. Mm-hmm. It was like, this happened and this happened. You know, here's some data uh, backing up my claims and supporting it. And here are some like pretty tempered ideas of how we can uh, maybe uh, do this better because right now the way that we're doing it you know uh, is is not great and it has to do with like you said with with vaping and banning vaping but meanwhile vaping is really a great alternative to get heavy smokers cigarette smokers to quit to transition Mm -hmm. away from smoking cigarettes which is very unhealthy to vaping which is significantly uh, less dangerous than smoking cigarettes. But yeah, like you said, uh, that video was just kind of like, you know, stomped on the neck by the algorithm mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I'm sure you're right. I- I'm sure uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was just, well, it's about, this is about smoking and we don't want to promote sm- smoking because that will make us look bad. So yeah. we'll, we'll just, uh, you know, we'll just put our thumb on the scales and make sure that nobody sees this because it's it's better to suppress this than it is for it to like blow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, I mean, there there is. I was reading recently there are like cigarette review channels. Did you know about this? Cigarette or vape review, but s- actual like tobacco light light the end and suck cigarette review channels. Yeah, and I guess YouTube hates those a lot. Like YouTube really hates these cigarette review channels where I was just I was just reading about it and I haven't actually looked up any of these, but I'm I'm super curious now. But yeah, supposedly, you know, it'll be, you know, cigarette champ 92 <laughs> buys a new pack, <laughs> buys a new pack of like, you know, Marlboro Extreme Purple Lightning or whatever. I don't know anything about cigarettes. And then, like, just smokes it and, like, reviews it as if you were reviewing a video game or, uh, uh, you know, the new Cheetos chicken sandwich from KFC. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 I can't. But, 
<laughs> I'm just thinking of I'm thinking of uh, review bra, like cracking open a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> Sm- <laughs> smoking the- <laughs> in this car and talking about it. Oh god! Very seriously, like talking about the different elements of the of the smoke. <laughs> No, I mean, this This is a real thing, and YouTube mm-hmm. really doesn't like this because mm-hmm. it's completely, you know, glorifying cigarette smoking. Right. And they don't want to be involved in that, and, like, mm-hmm. I get that. But meanwhile, a video that that is well-researched and, and, like you said, nuanced gets crushed along with it, and that's kind of like the hammer analogy that I think is apt. And I know that they're working hard to fine-tune all this stuff, but, gosh, let me tell you, in the meantime— this is rough for so many, for kind of like everybody. I mean, I, yeah. I can't even think Gus Johnson recently had a problem with a video. Grande has been like the people's champion of sticking up for creators. If, if you're not mm-hmm. following Grande on Twitter, you know, you definitely should. Mm-hmm. Because he, not only is he hilarious, obviously, <laughs> and has, has great memes, great <laughs> Minecraft memes in particular. But he's really become an advocate for creators and stepped up to the plate in a way that I haven't seen a lot of people uh, doing, at least not as consistently and prominently as as he is. I'm confident. I'm confident that within three years, he'll be termed Saint Grande of Malta, the the patron saint of YouTubers. I think the church will confer that on him, and I think he's earned it. I think so, too. He recently... The reason it's top of mind for me, because he recently highlighted this channel, Science File, mm-hmm. Science File, the AI, which is apparently over. You know, hopefully, I uh, really hopefully by the time that this episode comes out, maybe there's been some resolution to the problem. But essentially, as of this recording, that channel is dead and Science File, the AI is no more because... So the channel got dropped from the network that it was a part of. So the network, which part of the pros of being in a network is that you're, you have an added layer of protection from demonetization and flagging that you don't normally have. But Science File was flagged by YouTube as being a, a highly problematic, I don't know what word you would use. It was like... It was high. This is what it was. It was deemed high risk for violation. That that was the the, yeah. the word usage. <laughs> it's the equivalent of of uh, when if you start dating somebody and all your friends are like, oh, this. I don't know what it is, but there's something. This is a bad move, bro. You shouldn't do this. <laughs> we can't put our finger on it, but we've just got a bad feeling in our guts. And you're like, this is absurd. This is so stupid because I don't know of anything that's a, that's a red flag here. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not. But it really was like a gut feeling thing that turns into actual policy against this channel. <laughs> I love how everything <laughs> is just going to become dating analogies. It's that's like... all. This is this really is a dating site. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The create yeah. unknown could be uh, the date unknown, and it's a right. it's a, a matchmaking service. Actually, yeah, that's right. Our Discord is one big single mingle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> single mingle. Speed dating. Discord speed dating. <laughs> But yeah, there's no good reason that channel should be should be wiped off the map. Right. I mean, that's there was nothing compelling that stood out to you. Right. 
No, no, no. I know. Well, what they said, what Science Files said in the, you know, farewell video was that it was the synthetic voice. Mm -hmm. So, so the whole point of Science Filed AI is that this channel is a robot. It is an artificial intelligence and it uses like a text to speech program for talking. So it's not a human being, you know, doing voiceover or mm -hmm. being on camera. It's a robot and they use they use text to speech programs so that it gives a voice to the robot. That's the whole point of the channel. And apparently text to voice or, you know, synthetic voice channels are largely deemed as spam by YouTube. Mm -hmm. Like spam yeah. picks that up and is like, oh, this is some like Russian bot or whatever mm -hmm. trying to <laughs> infiltrate yeah. YouTube. And there are a lot of those. Though. I mean, I yeah, I clicked on on a result. I was looking for something Vsauce 2 related. There was some topic we were talking about and it was like, oh, has anybody done a video on that uh, that we could link to whatever it was? And I click on the thing and it's just a bot reading the Wikipedia entry for whatever topic it is. And I'm thinking that's genius. It's really cool that they did that, but this video sucks. <laughs> you know, this is, yeah. So I get their intent that we want to yeah. do something about those kinds of channels, but yeah. it's not always like that. It's not always a, a scammy thing. No, it's not some bizarre Chinese news YouTube channel that, yeah, like mm -hmm. you said, it's just like ripping websites and, and Reddit and Wikipedia and turning it into videos like some sort of content farm. Yes, that happens. And yes, that's why YouTube deems this as spam. But here we have an instance where that's not the case here. Mm -hmm. This is a person's channel. It's very clever. It's very informative. It's beloved by the over 100,000 people, I believe, that subscribe to it. But now it's over, supposedly. You know, we'll see if Grande's highlighting this, you know, this error, this kind of tragedy, uh, if that will help resolve the situation. I think we all hope that it does. But again, there's so much content on YouTube. What is it? Like hundreds of hours a minute are uploaded to YouTube. So in order to regulate and figure out what's okay and what's not okay a lot of things are going to go wrong along the way and it seems like right now to me more than ever before a lot of things are going wrong for a lot of creators and some of which get fixed and some of which don't mm -hmm. Picture this, if you will, you are swimming in the ocean and you finally feel free. You are, you are floating amongst eternity and that's what the ocean symbolizes. But you feel something tug at your leg and you're like, oh my gosh, it's a great white shark. So you rip off the crucifix from around your neck and you go to stab it in the eye like LL Cool J from deep blue sea and all of a sudden surprise it's an audiobook what audiobook is it well let me tell you what audiobook it is it's a book by temple grandin called animals make us human this is a book that 
I read for a video that I made called The Invention of Pets. And it's an amazing book. Let me tell you, Temple Grandin is an autistic woman who understands animals in a way that most people don't. She can recognize their body language because, you know, animals tell us things or they tell each other things through their body language more so than their vocalizations. I mean, they use their vocalizations too, but their body language, let me tell you, is something else. And Temple Grandin can read their body language amazingly. And it's amazing to read about her particular insights. It's like a superpower. Seriously, I'm not kidding. Have you heard of Temple Grandin? She is a superhero. And Animals Make Us Human is a great book that you should listen to. And how do you do that? Well, you go to audibletrial.com slash createunknown and you get that audiobook and you listen to it and you learn. You get a free trial and you get to keep the audiobook. You know, satisfaction guaranteed. No questions asked. So just go to audibletrial.com slash the create unknown and learn a thing or two about a real life superhero. I was thinking, I was thinking this morning actually, because last night I'm flipping through Freakonomics. Actually, I, I'm going to be very clear about this. Kevin, I'm about to demonetize this, this episode. Okay, so get ready. I, I'm about to throttle and demonetize this one. Um, Here we go. But, but such is, is the TC universe, right? Um, so I'm looking through and flipping through Freakonomics. Now, Freakonomics was extremely popular. How many years ago? A while. I don't I forget when it came out, but it was for that year, it was like nonfiction book of the year. Like this is the coolest thing in the world. And the premise of Freakonomics is, is really uh, an economist who thought economics is a lot more than crunching numbers and comparing, you know, uh, tables and, and data and all of this. It's like, no, it's, it's about asking really hard, important questions about the world. And we often get those questions wrong. And that's a problem because if we're trying to make something better or make a better decision, if we're asking the wrong questions, then what's the point? Um, but he opens the book by talking about two or three examples in the, and I mean, in the introduction, it's before he goes into the case study. So like literal opening pages of this book. And one of them is about crime going down in the 1990s. Uh, so I know that half the audience is excuse me, uh, not from the U.S., and the other half was being born in the 1990s. Uh, so let me back up what it was like to be alive so many years ago. There was just this really weird paranoia about, about crime. Everybody thought, especially youth crime, was a serious problem. Um, the numbers are going up. It's only going to get worse. It, Bill Clinton was was all over this, saying that we're a couple years away from an epidemic. Uh, it was just hysteria about uh, rising crime rates. We talked about it then with the urgency that global warming is talked about now. Uh, so what turned out to happen, though, is that the uh, like murder rates and crime rates, violent crime, all of that, just started to drop. And I mean, precipitously, it wasn't subtle. It wasn't like down 1% each year for five years. No, like it, it went, like it halved in a very short period of time. In New York City, murders went from something like 2,400 a year to 500 a year. Like this is a significant 
drop, right? So not only did this weird thing happen, but it's the exact opposite of of what was predicted. The reason I'm bringing this up is that the author of Freakonomics, I think his name is Stephen Levitt, he said that all the experts were wrong because they were looking at at kind of current data when, in his opinion, the correlation is with the Roe versus Wade abortion case having been resolved around 1972, the Supreme Court ruling on that that legalized abortion in uh, in the United States. He says the the uh, the women who were most likely uh, to uh, go and get abortions were he I forget the I'm stumbling on it because I forget the the metrics that he used, but it was essentially like people who grow up in these circumstances are a lot more likely to be criminals. And he said, by the time the 90s hit, uh, there were fewer potential criminals because abortion was passed. Now, this is not you know, necessarily my position on anything. The point is that if Freakonomics made that video and put it on YouTube, it's gone. It's out the door in a second. There is no way that video stands. And he's trying to look at a big public policy problem, violent crime, and link it to what's going on in the world so that he can explain what's happening with it. Now, his theory about uh, about abortion being related to it, that may or may not stand. I'm not an expert on it, so I don't know. But what happens to that video if he uploads it on YouTube? Is anybody going to see it the way Literally millions and millions of people read Freakonomics and launched the Freakonomics blog and their podcast. I mean, it's an empire now that gets people to consider the world in a new way. This is a very positive thing. But had that popped today, like literally this day in, in August on YouTube, it is gone. That's nuts. That's absolutely insane to me. And I think that that was Nerd City's exact point in speaking about Coffee Break's video being the type of content that YouTube should celebrate because, yeah. like, I understand from YouTube, like, one of the things that YouTube is really trying to, to, to clamp down on are conspiracy theories. They make a huge big deal out of sure. this because they feel like, you know, misinforming people, like, purposefully misinforming people is dangerous or could potentially be dangerous in a way that's just not something that they want to to be a part of and, and to really yep. allow to flourish on the platform. So on one hand, I understand that they don't want tons of like anti-vax videos to be mm -hmm. super popular and all of a sudden all these children are having like measles outbreaks. Right. Uh, but then on the other hand, if there's no room for a Freakonomics style con uh, piece of content mm -hmm. or a coffee break piece of content, then I don't know. There's a huge trade-off there. There's a huge trade-off there. Yeah. And I don't know uh, how that gets solved because look, on one hand, yes, there is a gigantic amount of content that YouTube has to be responsible for. But on the other hand, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong about this, there's not that many, it's not like an impossible to understand or, or manage amount of people 
on the level of a coffee break, right? <laughs> no, there's really not. There's, there's just, just not. not. No, and we know we know what ad revenue is like, okay? I mean, we know the numbers behind it. Uh, it's not like you get a million views on a video and you become a millionaire. We know it's not that. But uh, there's enough ad money coming into these videos that would pay a very nice salary for a massive amount of people to sit there and literally like watch the video like a human being and actually engage a brain cell or two uh, with when you're talking the creators who have the hundred to three hundred thousand subs and, and beyond or even ten thousand. There's just there's not that much content relative to the amount of money that's coming in on the ad side. Uh, it wouldn't be, uh, the greatest wage in the world, but it would be worth your time. Um, and again, you've got a judgment call. I mean, every human's, you know, some people are going to uh, blow it. Um, but you could even have a two tiered review system so that two people have to agree that there's a problem here. Uh, I know that they claim to manually review things. There's just, there's just no way that a thinking human being looks at some of these videos and thinks, this is not suitable for all advertisers. It's nuts. It's wrong. It doesn't work that way. And I'd love to see a more human uh, approach to it all, uh, even if it's ex even if it's expensive. Because the really expensive thing is having good, serious content creators or great entertainers. I mean, it's not like everybody has to be a video essayist. Uh, you know, I love uh, you know absurd, idiotic comedy. Uh, but you don't want to put those people off. You don't want to stifle their chances of putting content out there. Because when you do that, then the platform as a whole gets a little less appealing and a little less appealing. And when those really talented people jump somewhere else, uh, that's that's a game changer when it happens in a critical mass. You know, so I, I'm I'm really worried about the direction that that things are going when I see a video like Coffee Breaks that has every reason to be at the top of recommended, uh, has every reason to be trending because it's such a smart video, well-researched. And not only does that not happen, but the exact opposite happens. And it is jammed down into like the corner of the dumpster that you can never get clean where there's like green sludge <laughs> and like buildup. That's never getting clean. That's where that video sits right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you think though that, you know, it's even possible? And I know this this question comes up all the time, and and other companies have tried to do it. But will there be a time where there actually is a, a competitor to YouTube? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. It just seems like that's never going to happen. I don't know. There's nothing that's on the horizon that that's really worth getting excited about. But it's so hard to think in those terms, for me at least, when we know all these people who are being affected, whether it's you with, thankfully, what amounted to a minor annoyance that got fixed in a day or two, uh, which, I mean, that happened because you've been around a long time. It's easy easier for you to reach out uh, than it is for a lot of creators. Uh, thankfully, you had that resource. Not not so many do, uh, but we know, you know, whether it's it's that minor annoyance to something like a total shutdown. And we know some of these people. And when we see it happen, we're confused, we're frustrated, we 
try to do what we can, whether it's a public campaign kind of thing or it's uh, leveraging whatever resources we have with the people we know. Uh, but it's a day-to-day -day thing. It's an everyday problem. So everybody's talking about an alternative. You know, what's going to replace YouTube in 2022? And I'm like, who's going to get to 2022? You know, I, I like which which one of my boys is next. I don't know. I don't know either, but it seems to be getting worse. That's my take on it. It's it worse. seems to be getting worse. I think I think maybe it's getting worse so that it can get better. But I just, you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation, I don't see how it is possible to predict and analyze intent. I don't know how you train an algorithm to, to understand intent. Like maybe in coffee break situation with the smoking thing. Sure. Maybe they can mm -hmm. figure out like, Hey, this is like an informative thing. And it's not like, you know, uh, Gracie smoker 28, uh, <laughs> latest review of, of camel ultra cool, uh, <laughs> 2000, but it seems to me like that's certainly possible. But the other thing that bothers me is how much of how much restriction on YouTube there is that seems to me harsher than what you see on television. Oh, yeah. Like we're at a point where, wait, like TV can get away with more than I can get away with on YouTube. That that does not seem right at all. Like it was supposed the whole point of YouTube is supposed to be like freedom from the strictures of, of, of old media. And it was this new frontier and you have, you know, like Max Mofo jamming like turkeys on his, <laughs> on his hands and like being, being weird and millions of people loved it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, anything for views dressed up as Donkey Kong getting flaming barrels thrown at him and everybody rejoiced <laughs> that this was like like free media and now it's like wait we're now we're getting worse we're getting worse than tv and like you know max and chad can't even get their podcast monetized no no they have really limited options and i mean they they, they certainly say the occasional thing that that isn't family friendly. But I think, you know, as you were talking about this, about the TV comparison, I was thinking uh, when I go back to the 90s again, there's a show called NYPD Blue, which I never watched because I wasn't, you know, into like cop dramas. It's very much like Blue Bloods, if anybody watches that now. Uh, but standard crime, you know, uh, law and order kind of thing. Anyway, there's a guy named Dennis Franz. And before I say what's important about this, we need to establish that Dennis Franz is not hot. Okay. Dennis Franz, <laughs> okay. not only is he is, I, I don't know if he's still alive or not. If he, if he is, uh, he's probably still not hot. Okay. Um, but there was a scene <laughs> in, this was about 20 years ago where I, oh, I, forget I, if, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I don't know if he gets out of the shower or like what the context is, but it shows his, his bare butt. Okay. And that was a big deal because it was on a major network. It wasn't HBO. It was like ABC or NBC or CBS or something. Uh, and it was okay. So now I guess we're showing butts on, on uh, the big network TV. <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, and, and, and again, it was it was a butt that that few people wanted to see, uh, which made it doubly confusing. <laughs> but 20 years ago, we got but it was on a TV. really big deal. It, it was, was a huge. huge yeah. It was a huge yeah. deal. It was like the entire country screeched to a halt. It's so absurd thinking about now, but it was like yeah. everybody was talking about this lewd program called NYPD Blue that was just salacious and and offensive because it showed a man's butt. Yeah. And he was just like a 45-year-old regular guy, you know, bald, uh, like he's just a, a, a cop in the show. You know, there's it wasn't some big reveal where everybody's been waiting to see his butt. No, it was just some plot point and that they thought that it made artistic sense to include this realistic scene. And they did it and everybody freaked out. But that was 20 years ago. We got butts on TV. And what what can you do now? You know, that network didn't get all of its sponsors and commercials pulled, as far as I know. I mean, NYPD Blue continued to be a thing. Um, and they probably got some new sponsors from like Fruit of the Loom and yeah. uh, Ains. <laughs> Preparation H, huh? Uh, so <laughs> oh, I, gross. I, yeah, I, I really hate myself, and, and Dave needs to edit that out. Uh, so <laughs> so. Uh, anyway, you can't you can't pull that. I mean, what would happen to to Vsauce two if you just like dropped your pants in the middle of an episode and everybody saw what what very few people should see in this world? It wouldn't uh, go over well. I don't would think it? it would go over too well. No, I don't think it would go over too well. And I think that's a great example. And it seems to me like YouTube is getting more strict because there is this overwhelming connotation from the advertisers that YouTube is just this unregulated like landscape of, of content and you'll never know what your ad is running up against. So, you know, it could be, it could be butts. It could be, <laughs> you know, vile, vile, violent things or political things or whatever. And YouTube's response to that is like, okay, 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 okay. Since you don't really know what, ads what your ads are going to run against uh mm -hmm. we're going to start just being extra cautious about mm -hmm. that more so than than even broadcast television would be that goes back to our conversation months ago with casey neistat about that brand sensitivity and advertising and content and how it all plays with each other into into our reality um it's important stuff and i'm totally sensitive to that where if I if I had a brand and I was paying really good money to advertise on YouTube, I don't want it on on certain videos. I mean, it's just I totally get it. But the balance that needs to happen does not seem to be there. And I know that now creators can choose certain types of, of categories of ads that they don't want on there. So they've gotten a little bit of control where if you don't want to have I forget what the categories are because I, I haven't looked at them in a while. But uh, I don't know if it's if it's for like game video games or something like that. If you don't want video game ads running on your channel, you can uncheck that category and and that won't happen. Uh, so that's a baby step in in terms of matching up 
content with with advertisers. But I mean, that's a mile away from the actual problem. Um, just it, it's it's I don't see what what the next useful step is going to be because it's such a big gap that I'm going to reinforce what you said. You cannot write code that's going to fix this. That is not going to happen right now. No, but you know what I was just thinking might be an interesting next step, and I'm surprised this hasn't happened yet, is companies kind of buying YouTubers in a way, like mm. buying a channel. Like I'm surprised that like a Disney or a Viacom or a Comcast hasn't come in or even smaller broadcasting. I mean, those are like the the giant giant giants, but even smaller, like local, I don't know, smaller production companies haven't come in and say like, Hey, coffee break or, you know, Gus Johnson. Like imagine mm -hmm. if Viacom came in and said, I mean, Gus has been doing, he's a pretty good example here. So Gus has been doing work with, if you, if you're not familiar with Gus Johnson, you need to rectify that <laughs> immediately and subscribe to Gus Johnson on YouTube and follow Gus on Twitter, you'll not regret it. He's one of the funniest people on the internet without question. So he has been doing a little bit of freelance work with Comedy Central, I've noticed, where, you know, he's doing just short videos with Comedy Central. But my proposition here is at what point does Comedy Central or Comedy Central's parent company, whoever it is, Viacom, it might be, hmm. Turner, I don't know. At what point do they come in and say like, hey... You know, Gus, you are one of the funniest people on the internet. We'll give you a salary. Like, we'll we'll buy your channel. We'll give you, we'll pay you a salary to make, you know, X number of videos a month, and we'll give you health insurance. And go to go to town. You know, we'll we'll get yeah. advertising. We'll we'll take care of like running ads and and doing sponsorships because we have those connections. Why isn't that happening? And do you think it will? I don't know. I, I've wondered about that on the brand advertising side because I look at, I look at certain brand deals and know uh, what, what the amount is relative to the expectations for the brand, basically how much money they're paying for a certain amount of views. And I look at that and I think if you, if you use that money for uh, a portion of a salary of, of a team, you know, this would cover, you know, let's say three weeks of like a two, two or three person team. Um, how, what could they do in, in those three weeks? How many videos could they make about the exact thing you're trying to advertise or, you know, something tangential to it or a really cool thing that, that a company just happens to have an interest in. Uh, I, I do look at that and think, why don't you just have a production team instead of selling on, on these other things? You know, obviously it's about hitting different audiences and metrics and demographics and all that stuff. So it's, it's useful to advertise. Um, but, but yeah, that, what you're suggesting hasn't happened nearly as often as, as I thought it would. Uh, I figured that a bunch of channels would get picked up by now. The ones, uh, or the people or channels who are hyper-focused in, in a niche and this wouldn't happen, but it illustrates my point. You know, there are people who are obsessed with, uh, Apple and Mac, you know, there mm -hmm. were people like I Justine, uh, who have just been like Mac fan, uh, 
uh, hyper fans forever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, why why couldn't you just make them a staffer, basically, you know, and, and and support them and get the content out? Uh, I don't think it would happen with Apple, but it's totally viable that it could happen with a lot of other brands, uh, where uh, just just anything that's in an, a certain niche. Somebody within that niche could say, okay, this is really good stuff. It would help us. It would help you. We'd love to acquire you and and make your stuff, uh, uh, you know, give it a foundation for you to continue. Uh, it hasn't really happened. It's, it's kind of one-off sponsorships and some long-term relationships. Yeah, like I think of, like, as we're having this discussion, I'm thinking of tech channels. Mm-hmm. You know, tech channels like Austin Evans or Marcus Brownlee, mm-hmm. um, even Unbox Therapy to a degree. I can't believe a company like Best Buy mm. wouldn't come in and say like, hey, Marquez, dude, mm-hmm. you know, you are <laughs> the, the, the best phone reviewer in the world. How about, here's an idea. Like we pay you, maybe they can't afford him. I don't know. Maybe I'm like talking out of term here, uh, out of turn here, and and they would never be able to afford to 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 pay Marquez an amount of money that you know mm-hmm. he would be interested in. But I'm just thinking, mm-hmm. like, why wouldn't they suggest something like that? Where it's like, okay, every phone that you review, and you're free to review them however you wish. You know, we won't. Mm-hmm. We will not tell you how to review a phone, but if somebody wants to buy it, you put the link to the Best Buy uh, yeah. page where they can buy the iPhone. And you say, hey, you want the iPhone 11? Get it at Best Buy, you know, uh, for this deal or whatever, free trade, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just one example. But it seems like there is a gigantic opportunity, almost like a, like the music industry, where you know, a record label signs an artist and they sign, you know, right. like U2 or Katy Perry to like a six album contract. And for the next six albums, <laughs> you have to make six albums for, you know, Columbia Records. Yeah. that Nothing like that exists in the creator space as of yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think some people have, have talked about it and, and tried to work things out, but I think there will come a time where there's kind of an equilibrium on on sponsorship values where that makes more sense. Uh, and also a style developing, too, where those reviewers can have a relationship like that without it appearing to be a very biased thing. Um, it's, to- it's totally possible where it's something like, hey, this this phone sucks, but if you want to buy it, here's your best buy link. Um, you could do it with <laughs> a retail outlet, but... Yeah, it would be tough to strike a balance where people were absolutely convinced. I mean, you know the pushback that that we ourselves got from doing a, a Patreon. Uh, there's a percentage of people who see that kind of thing as as just being uh, terrible, you know? Um, imagine if, uh, if you're trying to get people to, or if a, a, a retail outfit is trying to have production uh, have produced media come out and then saying, Oh, by the way, spend a bunch of money here. Uh, wow. The, 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 the criticism that would come out, uh, from anybody who disagreed with a view 
uh, with a review would be like, you're obviously saying this terrible phone is great so that Best Buy can sell more phones. Like, uh, it would get messy, messy, but I think some people will be able to step up, uh, and, and develop a style where the brand can benefit, uh, people can benefit. And there's like a, an unassailable sense of trust that goes in. I think that's possible. Yeah, because this this already is a criticism in the video game review world mm -hmm. that that sites that review video games face all the time because they have to deal with these publishers yep. and these developers who essentially like their games and talking about their games is the game the website's business. Right. So coming out and like trashing some company's brand new AAA title that they spent five or six years developing and, you know, a hundred millions, whatever, millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then, you know, Joe Schmo on IGN or GameSpot or whatever gives it a four out of 10. Like that really hurts their relationship with the developer. But meanwhile, they have a relationship with the review or the reader. So, I mean, that dynamic definitely already exists. And I just feel like to wrap up like this whole discussion about the future of YouTube and all of the restrictions that are going on, that there may have to be some sort some sort of give like that where, you know, channels are supported potentially by by brands and by media companies in a way that we're not used to today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll see if that hits, uh, if that hits harder than the, the grassroots community based, uh, support for channels, which, which is really good, uh, because you retain all the freedom plus by default, you're giving people what they enjoy. Um, it'll be tough to, it'll be tough to improve on that model. And what you just said about, about trashing somebody, what, or who are we going to trash in the members only extended feed of this show? That's what I want to know is who do we get to trash and review poorly? <laughs> I think ourselves because <laughs> actually uh, James from the baby gang want, wants to hear more personal stories about the two of us. Okay. And because, you know, you and I have known each other for such a long time. Mm -hmm. And so he wants to hear more personal stories about about our friendship over the years and and how that's developed. So that's what we're going to get into. But in order to hear that, in order to continue to listen, you need to go to patreon.com slash the create unknown, where we'll be continuing the conversation mm -hmm. over there. And um, if not, that's okay too. Because you know what? Thank you so much for listening to the create unknown mm -hmm. because you're special and not in like a, weird way but in a beautiful way <laughs> this is just it's getting worse yes the I, words just come out at this point i i there's uh, and, a uh, yeah. i wish they weren't they wish they wouldn't i wish they wouldn't i don't know how to describe the feeling i just got because it's not quite a pit in my stomach but it's it's more like it's more like i i've i've got to go to the bathroom i think it's that kind of feeling yeah yeah. 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 It's like, what's the, what's the, what's that, uh, mythical, 
note, that like really <laughs> low note that makes you crap your pants. The brown note. I think you almost the, hit the brown, the brown note, note just now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on that brown note, see you, Space Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. You can unlock the rest of this episode by signing up at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. And if you do it right now, you'll get the rest of August 2019 for free. As long as right now is still August of 2019. If it's not, are there laser beams and dinosaurs where you live in the future? Anyway, you'll get to hear the rest of our conversation, as well as unlock the ad-free RSS feed, get exclusive content, join the Idea Baby Gang, and much, much more. So fully enter the Create Unknown by going to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Once again, this episode was brought to you by Audible. Pick up your free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Do it. Your brain and your ears will thank you. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. If you liked what you heard, and I certainly hope that you did, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really go a long way. While you're at it, you can also watch the video version of this show on youtube.com slash thecreateunknown. Check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. You can get the full episode. You can join the Idea Baby Gang, become one of the known access creator services. There's a lot going on on our Patreon. It's all part of phase three of TCU. So go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Follow us on social media. We tweet at createunknown. We're on Facebook and Instagram at thecreateunknown. You can follow me, Matt, and the show on Podchaser for podcast updates. You can also find a link to our Discord in the show notes. We love our Discord because we get to talk to you and you get to talk to us. So join our Discord. Our website is thecreateunknown.com. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production. We've been your hosts, Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor. Check out what we do on YouTube at Vsauce2 and on Twitter at KevLieb and TaborTCU. Links in the show notes. Executive producer is Dave Kiney. Our theme song is by the incredible Mega Drive. Special thanks to Paula Lieber, Mo Lewitt, and Dorothy Kiney. Until next time, see ya, Space Cowboys. Patreon.com slash the create unknown. It's like an elephant for your ears. That makes no sense.